Welcome back. It's another episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast. We just keep cranking these things out. I'm Kent. <laughs> I'm Ethan. I'm Michael. <laughs> I'm Brian. Hey, Ethan, you got some news. I sure do. I, I've spent my life savings now uh, uh, on a new instrument, so that's pretty cool. What instrument is it? Kazoo? Did you get a banjo? I, get? I this time I went with a bassoon. <laughs> I went with a bassoon. <laughs> the the banjo life savings uh, will be next year, next most year. likely. The Boulder Banjo Quartet. BBQ, <laughs> it works. Hey. So what kind of bassoon did you get? I got a, a six thousand series heckle. What does that mean? That means it's uh, it's a heckle, which is kind of this this. Um, bassoon from from Germany that is is often regarded as kind of the the bassoon to get kind of uh, you know there's a little bit of debate given no that debate. <laughs> 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 and it's from about the 1920s so oh that's old it's, dude it's an old instrument do you know when exactly uh, i think 24 to 26 somewhere in that range so you're coming up you know 100 yeah, years for that bassoon yeah, that's right you're the kind of guy who names your instrument? No, I am not. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Moving on. So it's been restored at some point, or some work done. Yeah, so I guess it was Jimmy Keys who, who did the major restoration work on it, um, you know, added some of the modern key work and all of that. Um, so, yeah. When was the first time you played on it? Well... I think the first time, the first concert I did on it was the 10th anniversary concert. That's right. Yeah. And I remember that because when I was listening to the concert recording afterwards, I recalled how much I could hear you come through, which was more than I thought before. So I noted immediately the difference in sound and projection in your new horn. That's right. Yeah, that was one of the, that was one of the deciding factors. It was kind of like, how much does this you know, project and improve things just kind of like right away. When you played the 10 year anniversary concert, it wasn't actually yours at that point. Right, yeah. You were still testing it out. Yeah, yes. And at that point, technically, it was not uh, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, that's, you know, that's amazing. First of all, to just take a a foreign bassoon and play a concert on it right right out of the box. Um, And then to, you know, love it enough to buy the thing. Yeah, the guy who was the first owner for my bassoon, he got it in the mail, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think like that day or that week played a concert on it. Wow, which is kind of irresponsible, really. <laughs> <laughs> Does seem so. <laughs> now, if you're, um, you know, when I got my big upgrade, a lot of people who were not musicians were asking, like, what's the difference? What's the, how come? A, a good student model bassoon is like eight thousand bucks, and a good professional level bassoon is like thirty-five thousand bucks. Yeah. And what makes it worth it? What's the difference? Why can't you switch bassoons immediately? You know, all these questions, and it's, it gets difficult to explain. Did you have to explain to your parents <laughs> <laughs> what what I was thinking yeah. while I was throwing my life away? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there was a little bit of that. I remember playing it for, for my wife, Andrea, and she was just kind of, her first thing was, eh, I like the old one better. Uh-huh. <laughs> she liked What the, was the old one? Uh, the old one was a Fox 240, so... What does um, that mean? That, is that a Renard? That is a Renard okay. bassoon uh, made by the, the Fox 
bassoon company. Um, Where are they? In the Midwest. Is yeah. that uh, Indiana? Indiana. It's Indiana. Indiana. American American made. Company. Yes. Um, and the 240 is like their upper upper level student model bassoon. Yeah, yeah. The 240 is kind of the the spot you get to before you get to the kind of professional line. Um, which Mike owns a fine example of that. What do you play on a 601? I've got a Fox 601. Fox 601. When I first played on what became my heckle, I had that same experience of like, well, I sound better on my Fox 240. <laughs> um, and there's, there's a learning curve. You've got to play on these instruments differently. Um, and I did not have much time on, on a heckle before I got the thing. Um, but there were enough professionals around who would play on my heckle, and they're like, oh, this is good. You should buy it. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> this is a good opportunity. You know, I should get this thing. Um, how would you describe the difference between playing on your 240 versus your heckle? Uh, the big, the two big differences that I noticed right away were uh, response number one and intonation. So, on on the Fox 240, there were certain notes that were just so wildly out of tune that the best you could do is kind of get it close, and and like the you could you could make the best read on the planet Earth, and it would still just kind of be a, a really rough note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the heckle like. The heckle has notes that are out of tune, but no, no single note is like so wildly out that you just you have no hope. <laughs> what does response mean? Uh, so response is is kind of if you think back to one of the podcasts we did before, where Mike talked about uh, voicing and kind of that threshold where the reed starts vibrating. That basically that concept is is response. So how quickly do you, does the reed start vibrating uh, after you? Initiate the airflow through the through the instrument. Right. So basically, when you want the note to appear, that note should appear. Right. <laughs> and on some bassoons and with some reeds, it's really difficult, and you wind up getting this airy kind of ta sort of uh, experience. Yeah. And one of the big things about playing in an orchestra or any group is that when your note is due, <laughs> it better show up. <clears throat> and playing on on a good bassoon that's been well maintained and everything makes a huge difference. I feel so bad for so many students who want to start playing the bassoon and they're stuck with these horrible oh, school man. instruments that are leaking and just yeah. pads are falling off. I worked with somebody recently, his, his pad was held together with a rubber band. <laughs> <laughs> and so they go to play their notes and it doesn't come out when they want it to and they think that they're not very good, but it's not them. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience. I'm teaching a, a middle schooler, and my goodness, it was she was just trying to play a G major scale. Not not asking much of the instrument, but there was just a pad that was so old and like brittle that it was just stuck to one of the <laughs> one of the keys. So it would just be this weird slurring sound up to the next note. Uh, so on the flip side of that. Um, Back in, well, it was like right around Thanksgiving, um, my college student Jasmine uh, bought a 601, uh, and she had owned a bassoon, the, the brand of which is something of a mystery. It seems to have been made in China somewhere, but it was um, 
unlike all other products that have ever been made in China, it was complete garbage. <laughs> and so for the last several years, she had been playing on uh, a Renard that uh, we own here at Metro State. Um, and she got her 601 to try it out and had it for a couple of hours. And I remember um, stumbling across her in uh, one of the little studio practice rooms with her uh, piano collaborator and they were going through uh, one of the pieces that she was working on to, to perform for her jury. And she was almost in tears out of like relief and was just saying, I can't believe how many things are so much easier mm. on this instrument. I can't believe I've been fighting against, I mean, you know, all of this stuff. And it was, I don't know, it was an interesting thing to remember the yeah. first time that I got off of a, a Renard, which are fine instruments. I mean, I don't want to be knocking a Renard, but the difference between a Renard and a halfway decent uh, professional model bassoon like the one I play on is it's a huge difference I've heard a few people say the Renard is actually the best instrument that Fox makes yeah yeah hmm. my Renard I still have and I just got super lucky I think it's a great instrument um, we didn't test it out or anything when I was in ninth grade we got it and the our my teacher just said okay contact this company and they'll bring in a bassoon and that was it. It showed up. It was shipped. We opened it up. Like, yeah, looks like a bassoon. Great. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was a good one. I still got it. Hey guys, I'm going to the opera, but... I don't know what to wear these days. Nobody seems to wear tuxedos anymore. What should I do? That's right, tuxedos are out. Boulder Bassoon Quartet t-shirts are in. Really? I better get one immediately. Where can I get such a thing? That's right, you better. They're available at our website and at our shows. Our website is boulderbassoons.com. Well, I think the the big the big thing about a huge upgrade like that going from a Renard to a Heckel is tone. Mm, yeah. Well, how do you describe the difference in tone? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So, I, to me, the other thing that's really closely related to that is projection. So, yeah. like the initial the initial sense I had with the Heckel was that it just sounded super bright and buzzy. Um, and it's kind of unpleasant. So like, <laughs> it just, it sounded really bright. And, um, and although I knew that would make it project, it was aesthetically not really my preference. Um, 
but that's as as I kind of played on it more, you learn that you can you can kind of finesse that and control it with your reads and your airflow and all of that. Um, but in general, yeah, just super super bright buzzy sound. Does it still sound that way a year later? No, I don't think so. I think um, I think part of a part of what helped is that uh, going down the the bassoon rabbit hole I bought a vocal that was a pre-war vocal so what that means is there's these these vocals that were pre-world war ii uh so so made before world war ii when the heckle factory was was basically demolished um and so there's there's this idea that if you play on a pre-war instrument then you should have the pre-war vocal to match um and so that, that seemed to fix some of the issues that I was struggling against uh, with the tone. You know, originally I had heard that the Heckle Factory got bombed in World War II, but then I read something recently that said that they moved. Ah. And they dismantled all the equipment huh. and moved it to a different place. Interesting. I don't know which one is true. Being bombed is more romantic. <laughs> but in any event, there's a big difference between their products before World War II and, and afterwards. Um, so these vocals, these pre-war vocals are highly sought after, especially for people who have instruments from the 40s um, or earlier. My wife's bassoon is from the 40s, and uh, she's always sort of on the lookout for a pre-war vocal. So what is the difference? Do, do, why are the new ones so different, and why can't they still make the old ones like that? Vocals? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. The, the theory that I've heard is, is the, the thickness or thinness of the, of the metal and how they like pounded it out originally was, was different somehow. And so that it was thinner, uh, pre world war two. I don't know why they wouldn't just start making them thinner now. But. Right. Right. Like, was there some missing recipe now that they don't have or. Yeah. yeah. Adamantium. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. What would be their incentive to make them like they used to make them. Well, the pre-war vocals are in demand. They're, they're more expensive because everybody wants to get a hold of them. And that's a sound thing? Well, they um, match, you know, the bassoons from the 40s and 30s and 20s were lighter, smaller and lighter. Okay. So a smaller and lighter vocal would probably match it better, right. which would help the intonation and just ease of playing it and response and stuff like that. Right, but yeah. my, my point is that now, Heckle is making bassoons that are heavier and yeah. bigger and more um, right. So maybe they don't need to. They shouldn't make a vocal that's so light because right. now they're making heavier. Right. Yeah. yeah. But their bassoons from a hundred years ago are still around. Right. And vocals get bent and chipped and cracked and all that. So if they were to make more light vocals specifically for bassoons that are seventy years old and older, maybe they would have some good business there. When I switched, people asked me what the difference is, and it was tough to explain. One analogy that helped was like, imagine you've got a Honda Civic and you upgrade to a BMW. Yeah. They both do the same thing, <laughs> but one's gonna be a different experience, <laughs> a little bit better. And I, I actually used that analogy for my parents who were driving a Toyota Avalon, which is a very smooth, yeah. Very, uh, you know, it felt like you're floating on a cloud kind of a car. Yeah. So I said, you know, you, you drive my stick shift Honda Civic, two-door Honda Civic, and then 
you get in your brand new Toyota Avalon, there's a big difference. Like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, when I play on my Fox Renard again, it's a very nice instrument, but it, there's, it does not have the same depth of quality and it does not have the same spectrum of tone colors available. So on my Heckle, I can, you know, with some adjustments, I can play dark, I can play bright, I can play for a huge hall, I can play for a small intimate setting. And it's easier to find all that stuff and I can kind of push it further and get mm -hmm. deeper, richer sounds out of it. And there's more available. I still have not come close to tapping the full potential of my instrument. Whereas yeah. with my Fox Renard, I have. <laughs> I swapped out, I got a new vocal, I swapped out this and that. And I've just, I pushed it as far as it'll go. And I, you know, I've, I've maxed it out. So it's time for an upgrade. And it was great. All right, folks, it's time once again to play another round of What's on Kent's iPhone. Mm -hmm. Yes! <laughs> Yay! This I'm is excited. the game in which Kent pushes uh, shuffle on his iPhone music library, and some wonderful gem comes up, and we have to guess what it will be. Mike, what do you think? What are we in for? Um, Ornette Coleman. Whoa. Whoa. You think Kent's got Ornette Coleman on his phone? I don't know who that is. Yeah. Really? Right. Okay, because <laughs> you're so <laughs> Why don't you tell us who Ornette Coleman is? Uh, Ornette Coleman, uh, saxophone player, right? And um, super influential in the free jazz movement of the 60s and 70s. I recall a story where he went to England, and for visa reasons, they're like, what do you do? Why are you here? And he's like, oh, I'm a musician. I'm a composer. And, like, and they said, yeah, right, prove it. And they made him compose something on the spot. <laughs> and I think that piece is actually in the library at CU. I remember I had to study him and had to listen to his music. And I'm like, this, this it's just, this, come on. <laughs> yeah, there's no structure, there's no form, hard. there's no melody, there's no rhythm. You just do whatever you want. And he's famous yeah. for it. He really got away with something. <laughs> <laughs> so Ornette Coleman is not on Ken's iPhone. I don't um, think so, no. <laughs> all right, then uh, Bill Evans. All right, that sounds more fitting. I can imagine there being a bunch of Bill Evans on Ken's iPhone. There is. There's some Bill Evans. I'll go with uh, Cindy Lauper. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> Ethan? Uh, let's see. I was going to go for uh, some kind of a film score. I don't know mm -hmm. if that I can get more specific than that, but I'm, I'm going to say a film score of some kind. Yeah. All right, dude. All right. Push play. Nickel Creek, man. Oh, Nickel Creek? Is that Nickel Creek? It is not, although I have some Nickel Creek on my phone. Like Chris Thiel. Is this Bluegrass? Is she going to start singing? So it'll be more apparent once she starts singing. It works this is the woman who sings about the dead animals, the orphaned animals, and supports your No, no, PCA. that's... Uh, Sarah yeah, yeah, this is a lady by the name of Sarah Jaros. She's a, a blue, bluegrassy kind of artist. Uh, what is that? What does Chris Teeley play? Mandolin. Uh, mandolin, yes. 
mandolin, guitar, violin. She does that kind of. I have a minor interest in some bluegrass bands like Nickel Creek and uh, uh, what's the one? Cricket Still. I like them. I like her, Sarah Jarosz. So there you go. Well, there you have it. We um, all missed the mark on this really one. Really did. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <clears throat> I was really hoping for some Cindy Lauper. <laughs> hey, Ethan, you want to share any other big news? <laughs> uh, well, sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I am going to be having a child in no August. Way. All right. Congratulations. Yeah. Way to go, man. Congrats. <laughs> you know, condolences. Yeah. <laughs> I will be not sleeping. <laughs> When's the due date? August. 25th. Ooh. Do you know the gender? It's a boy. You got a name picked out? Wait, wait, wait. Let's guess. Here, now, now we have a new fun game. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of Ethan's kid? Will Andrea let us name your child? <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. Yeah. Cool. Is it going to be a second? Is it going to be an Ethan? <laughs> Ethan Jr.? No. Ah. Anybody ever call you E.T.? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, good. (laughs) (laughs) Am I supposed to guess the name of Ethan's child? Help the dude out. (laughs) Um, It's hard picking a name. I had to do it twice. I'm still not sure. Paige. Paige? Your child's name will be Paige Turner. (laughs) Hey, yo. Paige Turner? I got it. <laughs> it took me a second. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, wait, is Paige a guy's name? I don't understand. Yeah, okay, I get it now. Do you have a name picked out? Um, pretty much. Pretty much. We, we've got a name. You gonna share? <laughs> uh, no. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to be to be the surprise of the next. Did you? Um, did you have fun learning the gender of the kid? Like some people do a gender reveal cake or a balloon or whatever. I, this, see, this is a good this is a good example of how how nerdy it was. This was kind of during the when I was doing a lot of playing and a lot of gigs and stuff. Uh, and so, <laughs> Andrea suggested that I do a read veal, a, read a gender veal. Veal. Uh. read veal, <laughs> where. <laughs> Yeah, what would you do? Like you, you have a particular colored read. If you know, it's a contrabassoon read, it's your, a boy. No, no, no. It's <laughs> a blue or pink, man. You got to dye a read? It, well, what was good is that we weren't having a girl because I don't have any pink ones. So <laughs> <laughs> it really only worked because of that. So you were playing in the ballet in the pit, and you did a read veal to... To my, my parents and no. to like the people that were... So what does that mean? Like your parents came down? No, to the so pit like, and the, so I came over to their house uh, for dinner after after the matinee. And show. you showed him a read. <laughs> what, did you, what did you do? Like put it in a case and say, "Here we go," and then you open the case. Yeah. And there's a blue read. It's, well, it's like yeah, it's like do you want to know which reads are our kids' favorite? Oh, uh, okay. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think you broke new territory there. Let you got to have the first gender read veal. Um, in the history of nerds. Well, hey, dude. Congrats. Thanks. We're going to have to get all our playing in before Kit shows up, because I'll tell you. (laughs) It's all over. Oh, God, it's tough. 
All right, well, let's wrap this up so I can go listen to some Cindy Lauper. <laughs> <laughs> How about here's, um, we listen to Black, which is a duet. Let's listen to the other duet that we played, which features Ethan playing on his heckle for the first time, really, in a performance. Uh, what is this piece? Uh, this is um, the second movement of the Sonata for Two Bassoons by Francisco Mignone. <laughs> 